1: On this show, together and with our guests, we're bringing the real talk, no
0: BS5, with tangible tools to help you pursue health and wellness without obsession or restriction. Remember our disclaimer, this podcast is meant for general information purposes only and should not be taken as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Big thanks to Spark Bites for sponsoring today's episode. Find out more about this great prebiotic snack at sparkbites.net. On today's episode, Christina interviews Nicola Haggett for an entirely body image focused episode. Nicola is a body liberationist, coach, and mentor whose work focuses on supporting folks to move beyond body positivity, to unlearn body shame, reconnect to their body, and intentionally practice their way towards a world where each of us has more safety, compassion, and joy in our bodies. They discuss how grief plays an integral role of the body liberation practice, as well as practical tools to help disrupt body shame and rewrite body stories to help us move forward in our own body image journeys.
1: So, Nicola, we're so happy to have you on today and talk about um, rewriting body stories. And I think when When Dana and I, Dana is unfortunately not on today, but when we were thinking about this interview and kind of going into it um, and reading about you more and trying to get to know you better um, until before we started chatting, we came across something on your about page that really kind of, we were like, oh, this is what an amazingly powerful thing to say and we really wanted you to expand on it where in your about page you said my lived experiences are just as valuable as my credentials and I really really loved that and I would love for you to tell us more about how your lived experiences are so valuable in helping people disrupt body shame. Mm,
2: That's a really surprising place to start. Actually, I can feel myself being surprised because it's so refreshing um, to have, you know, a practitioner um, to name the validity of like lived experiences. It doesn't happen often enough. Um yeah, so I guess what I mean by that, so I'm a fat person, a word as a neutral descriptor for my body, which hasn't always been the case, but it feels really supportive now. I'm also multiply neurodivergent, I'm chronically ill. And it's been my experience that, you know, from different positions in each of those experiences, somehow I'm invalidated from being an expert in my own experiences. You know, there's something already about the experience being a fat person um, that you so often meet, you know, um, people who are experts in your experience who have never been fat or who aren't fat. Um, there's so often the experience that you can't be trusted in your own experience that you're non-compliant, you know, through experiences of healthcare professionals, that that really your your body is a reflection of your um, lack of willpower. Um, that really it's just simple and you just need to be told what to do. Um, and you sort of get all these layers of experience. Um, I think the other piece of it is, you know, even in areas like weight stigma, um, so often that research is done sort of about and on fat people rather than centering the experiences of fat people. And the same goes for neurodivergent folk you know, for just disabled folks, so I think really um, I'm naming explicitly here that I bring my lived experience um, to my work, not in a way to centre myself or my story, but just to kind of reorganise the idea that the only kind of um, expertise that's valid is that with sort of, you know, through the research or for the literature or for the evidence base or from the experts,
1: yeah. No, I think that's beautiful. And I t- I think it also kind of lends itself to, to a broader conversation of self-disclosure um, when working as a professional, I think, too. I think sometimes self-disclosure is considered to be, you know, not something that you're supposed to share in and not supposed to do always. And I think when you're talking about conversations like that are so incredibly vulnerable and so incredibly personal, personal, but also, um, like, but also what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of also cultural. It's almost impossible to really be able to dig into the trenches of it. If there isn't some layer of self disclosure. I mean, I can't imagine how it wouldn't be valuable to anybody listening or working with someone on body shame, and not being able to say, hey, I've been there too. And I've been able to weave my way through these struggles that I've had that are big T trauma and little t trauma throughout my entire life and been able to work through the other end of it. To me, that almost feels even more powerful to hear than someone saying like, oh, yeah, I have this degree and this, then and the other thing. Not that that's not valuable in of itself, right? And that says something too. But for someone to come to me and say, have you actually done this before? Like, <laughs> like, like is this all theoretical or is there actual things that I can work through in order to get to this other place of more acceptance of myself and everything and um to me I find that to be invaluable like just so unbelievably important and so I'd love for you to share a little bit about how you work with people to disrupt their body shame
2: yeah and I absolutely agree on the piece about sort of sensitively done and also explicitly named um, self-disclosure lift experience. It's a really important work of um, peer support and, you know, um, I guess lineages of support outside of dominant systems, you know, where people don't get don't get um, kind of left out of what's offered. Yeah. So that's kind of part of what I'm drawing on there. So when I work with folks, I am drawing on a couple of different um, bodies of work. So um, there is a piece of it that is peer support. So I'm really naming up front that this isn't about my story or my lived experiences, but hey, I'm practicing alongside you here. This is not a place that I've arrived at. I don't think it's possible to arrive at a place of body liberation um in this culture that we live in. <laughs> um, so here I am practicing too and you know I have some deeper roots in some of these places and also I don't know what your experiences are. We're not we're you know you're gonna have some deeper roots. So there's a piece of it which is um collaborative, it's co-created, um it's relational work. Um, I'm not here as an expert. I'm really here to um To create space for people to start to name their own experiences, their own body stories, to start to situate themselves in a context which allows space for them to locate the problem outside of themselves and outside of their body to kind of notice where we go to fixing. So, you know, I'm sure you experience this and I experience it often when people do come to work with me because I have lived experience, there's something we need to name up front in that I don't have the plan (laughs) I I don't have the answer Uh, you know I I wish I could have the 8 step blueprint Um, (laughs) I don't have that and that's really uncomfortable right up front so like part of what I'm doing right in the beginning when I work with someone is kind of um, we're situating ourselves in context be in a context them in the context of their life, their experiences, what's come between them and being at home in their body when they first learned that their body was a problem. Um, and really kind of normalising like where they're at, the wisdom of where they're at, that it makes sense um, where they've struggled, you know, that, that it makes sense to also feel a bit wobbly about embarking on this journey. Um, and really I'm led by them. I'm led by what's showing up in the session um, as a place to kind of hop off from. But it's a really um, nonlinear process. It's a really iterative process. And so right in the beginning, we're kind of spending a lot of time naming that um, and circling back and grieving, grieving that there's not a plan, grieving that, um, grieving that there's not some kind of answer that the fixing doesn't work. Um yeah, I don't know if that answers your question because it is a really kind of individualized test. but that's some of what comes up for me.
1: No, absolutely. I think one of the things that I, I think is interesting too is about how you situate yourself. And that's something that you, you mentioned too, like you're situating yourself in your world and, and in the context for how you maybe feel about your body or what you've been told you should feel about your body that you've then internalized and taken on as your own right because I think about um, you know my own child and I know you have children too um, my daughter is five years old and I've never heard her t- never heard her talk about her body in any way that was in, in any way kind of negative and which is amazing and you always kind of think like when does this then happen and I think kind of creating, a timeline for yourself of writing down, like when was the first time that I acknowledged this or this was told to me that, I, this, that something was wrong or should be changed or could be different, when did this happen? And then kind of creating this whole timeline for yourself of like, how did I get here? Like, how did this all happen? And I think sometimes I know for me um, personally, and also when I work with clients of mine, that's always kind of in its own way, kind of liberating to see like, oh, no, this happened to me um, in in a lot of ways, too. And I think that there, although that is um, difficult, right, and awful to know that this happened to you, but I think that there comes some acknowledgement in that of saying like, oh, no, there isn't something inherently wrong with me. This happened to me. And I think that's like the beginning of where this grief and healing can kind of come together in, in, in a way. Um, and one of the things that you talked about on Instagram was I, I'd love for you to, to to talk about the different types of grief that are happening. Um, and you mentioned grief around, um, around that there isn't a system to get you out of this. And then also too, there's another type of grief that I feel like a lot of times people aren't talking about. And I think it you mentioned it really beautifully, but how you're grieving this thin ideal and how it's an ambiguous loss, you know, and it feels kind of strange and like you don't really know what you're you know, what you're grieving, except that you've been told to hold on to this picture of yourself of what could be. And I'd love for you to talk more about that.
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, oftentimes I think um body grief is kind of where we start in this work and it's it, it's there continuously um and sometimes when we talk about grief um it kind of can 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 initially we can feel like oh we're, we're grieving weight loss or we're grieving you know um, we're grieving um yeah weight gain and, and it kind of stops there and yes that's part of it because that with that comes access to privilege with that comes validation with that comes proximity to health i'm using health and kind of scare quotes there um and so when i talk about grief um, with folks we're really spending some time trying to get with get underneath it like like like, and, and and what else and where are we locating the problem you know so we're you know validating that um that when we're performing or attempting weight loss when we're sort of in the act of engaging with the thin ideal um, that gets us somewhere that maybe promises relief from stigma that maybe promises closer proximity to gender norms for some of us you know it, it might be safer for us well it, it certainly is safer for us a lot of the times this community it might get us access to healthcare procedures um, you know so really validating that it's not this frivolous pursuit that it really makes a lot of sense um, that it's so hard to get rid of that like even the fantasy of imagining that we might be you know successful in our weight loss attempts in the future even that gives some soothing some relief so kind of naming that and then the second part of it for me you know is like a lot of the models for grief that we use like um elizabeth cupola ross's model um you know they're they're really helpful, but often for me and for folks I work with, um so for those who don't know that model, it's kind of um a model for kind of um, I guess the stages of grief, and it's not supposed to be a linear model. Um, but it also is kind of a model that applies more when we have a a grief that can kind of be resolved in some way, a bit more um, and And what feels? It can feel a bit invalidating for folks who have chronic illness, disability, for fat folks who really name how ambiguous it feels, this, this loss. And what I mean by that is that there are times when we can feel really sort of rooted in the grief that, yes, we're letting go of this and grieving, you know, the, the, um, I can't do this anymore, you know, um. And then there are times we bump up against in culture, like you know, weight loss drugs. We're constantly told, you know, um, what about weight loss surgery? We're constantly coming up against the, the the promise of the latest, you know, um plan. And and in that there are many moments of feeling like, oh, maybe this, maybe this problem again. inverted commas of my of my weight of my fatness could be solved you know and so we get swept up in that fantasy and so often with folks that I work with and in my own experience that we get pulled off into the fantasy again much more easily because we can't 100% um, resolve it Um, and so there's like a model for that um, that Dr Pauline Boss um, developed um called ambiguous loss and so I use that with folks in fact by naming the ambiguity naming it perhaps we can't ever resolve this um then now what you know and like some of what we'll do is like look at the attachment to the fantasy and how do we kind of um interrupt that attachment a little bit how do we find new meaning um in our experiences how do we find community how can we keep naming? Oh yeah, here I am again. It's, you know, um, I'm being swept up on this fantasy. Um, yeah. And it does kind of the pull lessons of time, but it doesn't really fully go away. And I think just normalizing that for people can be really helpful because often you can feel like you're doing it wrong. Um, if you haven't fully um, reached a point of kind of acceptance um, as, you know, as sort of the end point in a lot of these models.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really great point that and I think also, too, if your main experience is looking on Instagram, Instagram a lot of times people... I mean, Instagram is polarizing, right? There's usually one side or the other. We don't, it doesn't really lend itself to having ambiguity and having it be gray. And it doesn't really share that a lot of times. So I think it can make people feel sometimes like they're failing at something when, and then that leads to even more, right? And it's hard to then not go back to, the coping and comfort that you can get from engaging in the fantasy. Like, well, maybe, like, maybe I can't ever get to this place either because I'm so, you know, for various reasons, you know, who knows, you know, all the different things too, because you are routinely on a daily moment to moment basis, um, the, Dr. Lindsay and Lexi Kite talk about in um, in their book about waves of body disruption. And I feel like that happens a lot, right? On a day-to-day basis, you get hit with uh, a, a body image disruption, like something happens and then all of a sudden you're like going right back into this, this body shame all over again. And to me, it's not so much about becoming coming to this place where it's like quote unquote healed and you don't feel those anymore. To me, it's more of how long do I stay there? Like how long do I attach to this disruption and let it pull me into all of the different pieces and more about my resilience to them long-term and being able to kind of name them and being able to say, Hey, this is happening right now. I'm being attached. I'm attaching to this an ideal or this idea that I had of what things could look like what's happening inside how can we move forward and how can I like you said attach to it a little bit differently or acknowledge that I'm attaching to it and I think that makes it a little bit more accessible um, for people to be able to really work through um and being able to acknowledge that this is happening and that they that um without it feeling like it's either one side of the coin or the other it's either I'm in it or I'm over it (laughs) and I think a lot of the information online is like oh you're over it like you have that's the only way to get through it is to be over it and I don't think that's realistic
2: (laughs) absolutely (laughs) yeah no and I know that in um in body trust which is one of the modalities that I'm trained in you know, we talk about um, the healing being in the return, like you said, like it's not really on not getting pulled into um, the fantasy or not even getting pulled into, you know, another weight loss attempt. That's not like where we're looking at success or failure. It's kind of like and and, you know, those periods of time, what helps us return and what helps us come back. So we're not setting to success is not having not ever getting pulled off again into the fantasy but kind of, you know, um, accepting that that's not going to happen. And I think, like, the other piece that this really allows for is is kind of making space for the complexity for folks, for, you know, super fat and infinite fat folks, for folks who are, you know, being denied gender-affirming surgery, um, you know, being denied all sorts of access to care, that in those discussions, um, sometimes you know, they're they're choosing to engage, you know, pursue weight loss surgery or pursue um, you know, weight loss attempts, knowing knowing that it's, you know, but but feeling like it's it's somehow worth it for the reduction in stigma, even if it's for a temporary period of time. And that when we put an intersectional lens on it, that sort of, you know, having this more expansive idea of what what we're grieving and, and naming multiple layers of it can kind of In my experience um, with the folks I work with, like leave a bit more space for them to say, yeah, it's not just about size here. It's also about access. It's also about, um, yeah, it's about care and it's really nuanced. So, yeah, I love that you name it. It's, you know, that that. Instagram doesn't allow for that in a lot of ways.
1: <laughs> no, and I mean honestly, I think that's by design, right? I think if people talked about how you might not ever really get through this, they might be less inclined to go down the road, right? Like, like because because everyone's looking for relief. You're looking for relief, and and of course you are, right? I mean, how could you not be when you're met with you're bombarded constantly with being told that there's something inherently wrong with your body and it needs to change. How could you not be, that would be really scary to go down a road and say, okay, um, this is going to be gray for the rest of my life. Um, And when there is this sense of comfort that we get from this ideal that maybe someday things could be different and I wouldn't have to deal with this medical trauma I wouldn't have to deal with societal trauma or within my own family system things being said to me and I could go about my life feeling a little bit different right like that makes sense to me that it would be really hard to go down that road and so I understand why there are people out there who are saying you can be liberated from this and like you can you know, you don't have to think about it at all anymore and you won't have to deal with this anymore. Um, To me, that also feels like a really empowering place to start and then realizing as you go through it, okay, this is going to be a lot more messy than than it actually seems like it's going to be.
2: Yeah, and I think um, that's why body stories are so important and why really making space for like what has the fantasy promised you know what has weight loss attempts actually given us so naming yeah it gave me some validation or oh it gave me like a bit of safety and also what else was there as well and how long did that last not in a kind of dismissing way you know diets don't work but kind of in a okay like what felt like it worked about them yeah you know i got all this validation and i had a lessening of stigma and i had proximity to privilege and i got um i was able to move through the world easier for a while and also you know what else was there maybe there was disordered eating you know often not maybe um you know maybe there was like you know an obsessive thoughts and still a lot of self-diet and also the sense that it was not sustainable and then you know Just kind of situating ourselves in the full story, like you said, rather than I think what comes with the fantasy is it tries to flatten our story and just romanticize and idealize this like one period of time when it felt like it worked for like a short period of time. Um, And we're always trying to get back there. Also, even the cost of that, the cost of feeling like we're living in, in a body that's got to be temporary means that we can't actually be here in our lives we can't actually be present and the grieving is hard but there's something in being with the grief and making space for it that it kind of connects us also to our aliveness to what we're yearning for for what it is that that we're not getting in the culture you know and and it makes space for us to create different models of possibility different ways of moving through the world you know when folks come to work with me I named that lived experience is a big part of it often like in some way they're also looking for like the model of a possibility of something different even though I'm not providing a map our bodies are here in the room with the people that we're working with even in the zoom room and there's something about the way we can hold a space that can sometimes model something different a different possibility of navigating the world which does include grief but which also includes um, other kinds of freedom and solidarity and alignment with values so yeah absolutely it's um it's hard it's hard work but it is so so worth it
0: And now a quick break for a word from our sponsor, Spark Bites. So you all know that we talk about gut health a lot on this podcast. So today I wanted to talk about a great way to help promote a healthy balance of gut bacteria without the need for supplements. Spark Bites are a great on-the-go, top eight, allergy-free, gluten-free, and plant-based snack packed with prebiotics from gluten-free oats, greens, and seeds. They're also local to me, Dana, and made right in Alexandria, Virginia, which is super cool. So while probiotics are the organisms that we might take in supplemental form or get from fermented foods, yogurt, kombucha, etc. to help support the balance of bacteria in our gut. Prebiotics are the food that we can provide to help the beneficial bacteria in our gut microbiome flourish. So prebiotics can help you have more regular and pleasant bowel movements, have less bloating and promote digestion and nutrient absorption. Spark Bites pack a combination of prebiotics and other nutrient-dense foods and are available in six different flavors. Cinnamon, which is my favorite, chocolate chip, coffee, red beet, matcha, and turmeric. And if you wanna learn more, you can find Spark Bites at www.sparkbites.net. And they can also be found on Amazon. And now back to the show.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I can't imagine a journey that's not more worth it than been going through this process. And I, uh, you mentioned briefly while you were just a moment ago about meeting your body. And that's something that you wrote about on Instagram too, about the concept of meeting your body. Um, And I, I think I'd love for you to dive into exactly what you meant, what you mean by that meeting your body. Um, I like to think of it like, our whole lives, we're been told that we should be trying to conquer it. And I like the idea and the, I, the concept of trying to meet it instead of trying to beat it. And so I'd love for you to talk about meeting your body and what you mean by that and what kind of support that looks like.
2: Yeah, um, there's something you said there, um, conquer, um, conquering our body. And I think like really where I start is, The reason we have to talk about our body in this kind of disembodied way at all is because we live in a culture which really normalizes mind and body being two separate, um, two separate domains, you know, and so often the experience of being in a body in this world, you know, we start off younger kind of without that kind of split really for as long as possible. It's different depending on gender and how you were socialized and race and all of that. But we kind of enter this place of domination almost where we're kind of, you know, through all different lenses, like when we go to school, when we go to workplaces, we kind of have to override our body's needs in lots of different ways in order to get through our day. You know, we have to like keep on pushing. We have to, you know, like work longer hours. We can't really um, maybe lots of people I work with can't even find time to get a lunch. Um, you know so we're constantly learning oh okay there's a way in which I've got to take up this project of my body it has to be more efficient it has to be thinner um I have to kind of um constantly be in the work of improving myself and my body um and when I say meeting my body what I'm really talking about is noticing bringing our awareness to all the times that we're conditioned to leave you know all the times that we're conditioned to look outside of ourselves to to view our body through this lens of you know how do I look am I you know out of breath what do people think of me and not through the place of blaming ourselves with for that but really noticing like where did we learn that from where did that come from you know, when did I first learn this? Um, and then from that place, trying to, you know, cultivate a different way of being in relationship with ourselves. So meeting our body is relationship work. It's shifting from domination, mind over matter. You know, I'm going to think my way past my body image problems. I'm going to after. after you know, use affirmations to get myself there you know I'm gonna do all of this work on and to myself in order to kind of solve this problem I'm just kind of looking at like what would a different kind of relationship look like like how do I practice that how do I um turn towards myself and my body um with curiosity like what's here um where did I learn that you know even when we're experiencing shame like where's the wisdom in that you know where did I first pick up that practice um and what else might be possible and guess I'm really looking at domination moving from domination to partnership to what would a relationship of partnership be like and that doesn't mean when we're in partnership that we necessarily always like each other doesn't mean we always (laughs) love each other But it kind of means, hey, like, like, like I'm going to what's a relationship that I could stand to be in with my body for the rest of my life? You know, what would that look like? You know, um, what am I committing to here? And I think it's different for everyone. What the inroads to that are, you know, for some people, initially, when we start meeting our body, it's really from a place of how can I tolerate this a bit more? um you know how can there be a little less suffering here um and then other people it's it's something really different other people it's i really want to feel more connection with my body you know um yeah so i don't know if that answers again but it's really this turning towards its relationship work it's shifting from fixing towards something different um and it's in small small steps um there's no no kind of grand gestures that are going to get us there because when we when we've been conditioned for so long you know usually this kind of you know need dr neva peran's research on the developmental theory of embodiment you know shows that this leaving our body this um rather than meeting often starts when we're eight nine ten um and so when it's been such a long time it makes sense that meeting ourselves is not quite as straightforward as it's might sound initially that it's going to take some time that it's going to be um cultivated over over small actions rather than sort of the grand gestures of diet culture um you know yeah
1: yeah you know it's making me think a little bit the the, the phrase that's been coming to mind when you mentioned dominate is the idea of like fake it till you make it kind of thing and I feel like that's um such a toxic way of looking looking at stuff because it continues the idea of dominating it, right? Like I need to, um, I need to overcome it and I need to fake it until I get to this other place when really you're never fully acknowledging where you are, right? <laughs> right. At the same time, it's never really going through that whole process. It's I'm going to ignore everything that's ever happened to me and I'm going to pretend that this happened instead that I'm in this place, but you can't really get to the, the freedom that you, that you talk about the relationship that you're talking about and the uh, community and solidarity with your body. If you're pretending that everything that ever happened that led you to this place never really happened, or you don't work on processing it in any real way. I mean, then every time that you go to the doctor and they say something to you, what do you do then? You know, how do you then not let that impact you? It's almost kind of like, um, you know, like, I think of like, um, like glass, right? Like, like a piece of glass and like you throw a little pebble at it and then you throw another little pebble at it and you keep throwing pebbles at it. And pe- it like starts to weaken it, you know? And then over time, you know, you get one small pebble and it shatters the glass. And it's like if you don't do what you need to do for each time a pebble hits you to repair the glass a little bit each time to make it stronger and more resilient, and all you're doing is saying, "I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna pretend the pebble never happened." <laughs> um, eventually, the glass is gonna shatter, and that just sounds like. Talk about turning away from yourself rather than meeting yourself, and um, I know that this work, as uncomfortable as it is, it's all about meeting yourself.
2: Yeah, yeah. That analogy with the glass, yeah. And I think also, you know, for a lot of folks, um, there's something in in the integration of all of the broken. You know that that we can be whole and amongst our our brokenness, if you like. Um, certainly, in chronic illness communities and
1: oh yeah,
2: in disability communities and and in fact and in fact community, um, it's kind of stepping off, stepping off that ladder altogether, and kind of turning and looking at ourselves differently. You know, um, you know, Sonia Renee Taylor talks about the ladder of body hierarchies you know, and sometimes when we're doing this work and body acceptance work or body image work, personal healing practices can be really powerful and important. Um, And sometimes if we're not kind of also looking at, at what happened to us or where did this come from and starting to notice it, and actually practicing stepping off the ladder altogether, which is really hard, really hard work to do. Um, We're not actually creating a world that all of us get safety and belonging in. And and even those of us who feel most broken can somehow find a way to be whole, you know. Um, Yeah, so I love, you know, there's something about for me, like um, I can't undo some of the breakages. And so how do I still kind of, you know, meet myself, like you said, and, and, and just rewrite a story or a narrative that includes all of that in a way that doesn't require me to erase it or to kind of get back or to somehow overcome. You know, that's so much of what, what I felt. Um, and yeah, you're right. It's not even about it doesn't include us here in our present moment. It's, it doesn't include the wisdom of the ways we've tried to cope doesn't include the wisdom of of how we've tried to survive um you know and it doesn't rebuild that trust um in ourselves and you know in our body whatever trust means you know that might not be a word that resonates for everyone but yeah
1: Now um i was thinking about how the about how you said that it's not about repairing the pieces, but allowing the pieces to kind of be the broken pieces to be part of what makes it beautiful in the end, like what makes you beautiful and what makes you, um, your own unique person and being able to rewrite your own body story. And like you said, meet your body and embody it, um, and know that you're whole and fine, even though like whole and safe and all of the things for yourself, um, and enough. I was thinking of like, um, a kaleidoscope, too, about how, you know, that I have this piece of artwork and I'll, I'll share it in the show notes and on our thing, but there's this artwork that I, am not going to quote it perfectly, but it's like, um, I'm a kaleidoscope I'm a million broken pieces. And, um, someone told me that they thought that the, my broken pieces were beautiful and, um, that they made me who I was. And I think that that is in a lot of ways, true for this journey right like like you said you can't ignore the things that happened and not um, and continue to happen (laughs) right like I also want to acknowledge that too when you're working through this and you are in a fat body and you are going to continue to be met with this this doesn't go away it's not like all of a sudden you know because you've done this work to to accept yourself that everyone else has already accepted you too that's not um, that's not what happens you know and so fucked up. But, um, but that's, that's part of, I think, the reality. Um, And I think the more that we can go back and say, you know, I, that's not my fault, you know, and I think the more that we can do that work, the more we can understand that that's their shame. And it doesn't have to be mine to carry all the time.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> no, it <laughs> makes so much sense. I think um, naming it that we're going to continue to to experience these breakages as well. There's something about, you know, part of body story work is not just sort of bringing our awareness to what have been our lived experiences, you know, in this body, you know, what's enhanced and disrupted my experiences. But also, like, what are the roots? What are the, the the roots of that? You know, really going back and naming um, capitalism, naming patriarchy, naming you know colonization, naming white supremacy culture, naming diet culture, naming anti-fatness, naming ableism, naming healthism, naming anti-black, you know, naming it all, um, and also exploring alternative alternative approaches and alternative ways of thinking, you know, Um, I think this is where like the work of that activism, the work of disability justice, the work of black feminists, the work of, you know, other communities um, can be a real um, place that we can turn to to get um, to do some of that unlearning and reimagining something different. Um, Because if If all that we're being offered is just kind of building our resilience within the existing system, that doesn't feel like enough, you know. Um, And and if we're just adding to that a kind of resistance, which is super important, like figuring out where we can find communities of solidarity, how we can advocate for ourselves. Where does that feel accessible? Where does it feel possible to to create boundaries, which is not always um, safe to do? Um, but also where are the kind of stories that we can um, get immersed in the, the kind of podcasts, the, you know, the people, the thinkers we can follow that help us reimagine something different as well. Um so that it's not even that we're broken and, and and I love the kaleidoscope. I that's a really beautiful image for me too. But it's also even like you know, um totally flips the narrative completely that it's not even a kaleidoscope, it's you know it's a constellation or whatever you know that completely you know flips the narrative for us I don't know if that's too out there but that's definitely something that I also think about is um, how do we reimagine something different because I think often it's really hard to do that work to imagine if we woke up tomorrow in a world where you know uh, your body was totally affirmed and supported and desired and you got access to all the health care you needed and you know, this is a question that Hilary Knavey um, offered to me in body trust training. You know, why would you want to care for yourself? And often people don't even, we can't even imagine that as possible. So like, like where are the places that we can go to where people are already imagining like what it would be like if everyone felt safe in their body? And um, if everyone had dignity and belonging, Like, like what would that look like?
1: I think you have to attach to that Bigger picture, right? Because, I mean, I know for myself, my daughters are a huge source of of inspiration for me for why I want to have these companies I believe to be incredibly important conversations, because I don't want them, their children, their children's children, (laughs) and going back and forth to. If there could be a day when people did inherently just have dignity and they could access um, medical support without there being any kind of weight stigma associated with it or any kind of thing like that, and they were able to be met as a human, as a person, right? And not this thing that had to be fixed and that something was inherently wrong with them. Who doesn't want that? Who doesn't deserve that? Who doesn't... um, that that's the way that the world should be moving towards and the fact that we're not already there is appalling um, to me but you're right you named all of the reasons why i mean colonialism capitalism patriarchy all healthism all of those pieces that you mentioned are the reasons why we're not there and the more we spend our time learning more about how those structures came into place and what we can do to disrupt those structures for ourselves and also for future generations is, I believe, to be some of the most important work. And it starts with with each person diving into rewriting their own body story it starts with there because the more that you understand around what happened to you why it happened to you and why it's continuing to happen to you the more we can do this work so that other people don't ever have to experience it
2: yeah yeah I mean I think that's um you know Sonia Renee Taylor like I think I read maybe I read it or heard it in a podcast, I'll get mixed up, saying, you know, the way we dismantle the ladder in the world is to dismantle the ladder within ourselves, you know. So this, you know, I think starting, we can only start where we are. Um, and I think also the invitation is to move towards the edges of our own body acceptance, you know, so of to, to absolutely centre our own experiences and our healing. So it's not to invalidate, you know, that's why body stories are important, really getting to have space for our experience and to name where we were harmed. And then also the piece of um, also looking at where we are also both complicit still um, and where we are, um, where, yes, we can name our suffering, but also where we can name where we've been protected um, by, you know, um, some of our you know like as a white person um naming you know I've uh, where I've struggled as you know a fat person as a neurodivergent person and also like situating myself in a bigger commitment you know like you said um is kind of part of it you know in body trust it's named as making the healing bigger than you and I think that that's really the invitation in in this work um rooting ourselves in solidarity with others i love
1: that um I feel like we could talk about this all day long, and and um, and kind of go deeper into. It. And I'd love to have you back and and talk about this even more because I feel like there's so many areas that we didn't even really get to fully touch on. Uh, but I will mention real quick. I'll put in the show notes to you mentioned briefly body trust provider, and that's Hillary and Dana's work, and they have a book um, reclaiming body trust. I'll put that in the show notes for everybody too um Hillary and Dana did come on the podcast, which was wonderful, and um, talking to them about their reclaiming body trust and everything. But I would love for you to share with us um, where people can find you, what kind of work you're doing, what it looks like to work with you on rewriting their body stories, and maybe how they can start at home.
2: Yeah, sure. And um, thank you for having me on. I really love this conversation. Um, yeah, so I'm not the most active person <laughs> online neither, neither um, am I. <laughs> <laughs> um i do have an instagram account um that i haven't posted there in a while um but you can follow me on there I'm at nicola haggett um i also have a website with nicola and on there you can sign up for my mailing list which is very sporadic but i i do send something there when i'm got something new that i'm offering Um, And that's probably the best way to contact me also um, via Instagram, actually, by sending a message. If you're interested in working with me, there's a link in there to book in a call. Um, I don't have a huge practice at the moment because I'm doing my master's um, in gestalt therapy. um, And so I'm kind of in in an in-between space where I'm having to manage my placements for that um, alongside, you know, the, the body liberation work that I do um but yeah if you want to reach out there um there are a couple of different ways to work with me um but usually we start at around eight sessions um and we, there's some sliding skill spots um, available um, those are yeah those are full at the moment but you can always contact me and get added to a waiting lists but yeah there's more to come I will be evolving my practice so um you know in the next year or so but that's the best way to get home get in touch.
1: Wonderful. Thank you so much, Nicole, for coming on and um, sharing all about disrupting body shame. Thank you.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Hey, friends, it's Dana. And thanks for listening to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your family and friends. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And if you can, we would absolutely love it if you left a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This helps spread the word so more people can find the show and learn how to break out of diet culture, the body image spiral, and find a more peaceful relationship with food in their bodies with Wholehearted Eating. If you're interested in learning more about how you can work with me or Christina for one-on-one nutrition counseling or checking out our self-paced courses, head over to wholeheartedeating.com. And we'll see you again here next week.